And I think at the heart of a lot of addictive and unhelpful behaviours is this desire to escape or numb out from ourselves or from certain emotions. And part of why we want to do that is because we haven't been taught how to, to manage these feelings. And we live in this world where it's normal to just pour yourself a drink when you're feeling sad or stressed or shy. Wow. Some big stuff at the start of season two of Create Shift. Hello, thank you for joining me today. I'm really thrilled to be bringing you a second season of this podcast. And if you are listening to this in real time and you are living in the Northern Hemisphere, then happy spring. We've just had the spring equinox. And as you know, I release a new series of the podcast in line with the change of the seasons. Um with the earth, with nature. So here we are in spring and I have a great season lined up for you. Lots of really quite deep and powerful conversations, or at least I found them to be. And yes, we are kicking off with Kate B who owns um, a business called The Sober School, where she helps women to quit drinking and create healthy and happy lives that they love without alcohol. So it's quite a... Um, contentious topic maybe I don't know um I hope that you will listen with an open mind with an open heart uh yes Kate and I are both non-drinkers um but I I really don't think that it's a judgmental conversation and um Kate with her business isn't saying that alcohol is evil or anything like that and I don't think that's what comes across in the conversation but what I hope you will get from it is an encouragement to think about and question and consider and explore your own relationship with alcohol and Kate and I both share our own personal experiences um, from having drunk alcohol and and used to drink um, (laughs) from drinking a lot of alcohol or you know whatever Um, drinking some alcohol in our lives uh, to then making the decision to quit drinking. Um, so yeah, I hope that you find it interesting and engaging and thought provoking. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram, mostly at being underscore change. Um, leave a comment, um, in the review section of the podcast and rate and review it to your heart's content. Okay, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to Create Shift, a podcast to support, encourage and inspire you to live your most purposeful and holistic life. I'm your host, Ellen of Being Change. I'm a yoga teacher, writer and purposeful and holistic living advocate based in Manchester, UK. Thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. Thank you very much for joining me on season two of Create Shift. I'm very happy to have you. Um, I was wondering if we could start just by giving yourself uh, or giving us a little introduction to yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Um, It's really good to be here. I, yep, I'm Kate. I'm from the Sober School and I help women to stop drinking alcohol and to feel good about it, basically. Um, yeah, I'm really passionate about helping women who feel as if, you know, their, their drinking is making them miserable or getting in the way of them living their, their best lives and living life to the full. Um, I like helping those women to, to let go of that habit and to feel really good about making the choice to be alcohol free. Mm, Great. And and this all came about after you made that decision yourself, right? You you quit drinking in April 2013, if I've done my research right. Uh, very good, yeah. <laughs> could, could you yeah. tell us a bit about your story and, and kind of why you, you made that decision to quit drinking and sort of, sure. uh, yeah, fill us in on that a bit. Yeah, because, um, you know, the sober school definitely came about because of my own experience. Um, and... And yeah, I was one of those people who always probably drank a little bit too much. Um, Right from the word go, as a teenager, when I discovered alcohol, 
I thought, right, this is great. (laughs) This is what makes me feel more confident. It gives me the ability to talk to boys at parties, to be their version of myself that I really wished I was. Mm. So a bit of a love affair from the beginning. And what I found was as I got older, my drinking morphed from being something that I just did every now and then with friends and so on to something that was quite a regular part of my life. And by the end of my 20s, I was actually preferring to drink on my own, at home alone. Um, And it was something I did whether I was feeling sad and stressed out or or sometimes even if I was really happy and, you know, wanted to celebrate a good day, there always just seemed a, a reason to drink. And I never seemed to be able to stop at just one drink. Um, so, but my my real problem was that I, I, you know, I, I think I knew for a long time I wasn't a normal drinker, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I wasn't an... A raging alcoholic either. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a good job, uh, which I was, you know, holding down and, and going to, and I was working hard. And I was also still, you know, working out and running and eating fairly healthily and caring about my health in the way that so many people do. So I felt really lost in this kind of gray zone where there didn't seem to be any support for people like me other than my, you know, GP saying, oh, well, why don't you just, you know, cut down a bit more or drink a bit less, as if I never thought of that. <laughs> and um, and I think what really stopped me from quitting drinking sooner was just the fact that alcohol is such a big part of our life. Yeah. And I thought my social life would absolutely die and be over if I stopped drinking. So it took a really long time for me to get to the point in April 2013 where I thought, you know what, I feel as if I don't want to stop drinking, but actually it's really making me miserable and it's making me feel very unhappy. Mm. So I decided to stop for a few months. Um, I set myself this challenge of doing it for 100 days, which was longer than I'd ever done before. And you know, for various reasons, it just clicked that time. And I began to realize that actually you can stop drinking and still have a full and happy life. And that's what I'm all about now, really, is telling other people that because I think so many people stay in unhappy relationships with alcohol because they just can't imagine anything else. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you just said about you know alcohol and drinking is such a big part of our lives and it's so normalized mm. um you know you, and you said you weren't a normal drinker and I'm like well what what is a normal drinker maybe you were a normal drinker because it seems to be okay you know, it's very accepted in our society I think to to have a glass of wine at the end of a busy stressful day or to mm. to go out at the weekend and drink a lot because that feels like you're having fun and, and you're you're letting loose or, or whatever it is like that seems so so accepted um yeah I agree although I think our our cultural um kind of approach and attitudes towards alcohol is riddled with contradictions because yes you're right on the one hand it is cool to drink and it's normal and totally acceptable to go out and to drink so much that you can't remember what you did the night before Mm. people will say to you oh well you must have had a good night then if you can't remember it which is crazy Mm -hmm. but then also we do in other situations we might frown on someone Mm. particularly women if it looks like oh Look, look at her. She's had one too many, hasn't she? Mm. You know, she needs to stay in control of herself. Um, and so we're very, uh, yeah, we, we frown on people in those situations. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And we certainly, I think we also criticise people who might drink alone. I think that's seen as a little bit taboo. Um, so, yeah, it, we've got a heck of a weird relationship mm. with this drug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting is when you just said especially women and, and kind of 
one of the things I wanted to ask you about is whether you thought it was very different for, for women and men, because obviously you help women to, to quit drinking, and I was just thinking, oh, I, I think there are differences in the way that um, mm. drinking culture is for, for women and men, but I wanted to talk about that. And um, yes, you're right, it, there is for women that level of drunkenness that is not acceptable to be at um, in our yeah. society, where we are then frowned upon and... and um, yeah, do you think there are lots of other differences for, for women and men in the way that um, drinking is seen? Yeah, and I think there are. Um, um, I think women suffer from from the same thing that we have in other areas. You know, if a woman sleeps with a lot of guys, mm. she's frowned on, whereas if a guy does, he's a stud or whatever. And the same with drinking, I think men can brush it off, laugh it off as being, you know, just, hey, just a guy thing to do, whereas women are perhaps, um, yeah, expected to stay in control a little bit more, a little bit more frowned on, um, you know, if you are, you know, drinking a lot at home. And a lot of the women I work with have real fears around telling their doctor what's going on in case they write it down and it... You know, gets its way to social services or something like that. Even if they know they're taking really good care of their kids, they perceive there to be much more of a stigma with them mentioning it to anyone. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it is different for women. I think drinking causes women more shame. And I, I do work with women only. And whenever I've polled the women that I've worked with and said hey what would you think if I did open this up to men the answer has always been a resounding no like we don't feel comfortable talking about this with guys we want this to be a really safe Mm. space with women only which I I find fascinating and I I can understand people's feelings like that yeah Mm. yeah that's really interesting um and I think there's this sort of different problems with both, isn't there? Because I think sometimes for men, there is that association of like the kind of, I don't know, the lad culture or like, yeah, men drink beer or whatever. And therefore, if a man wanted to quit, is that harder even than if a woman wants to quit? I don't know. Um, is it less socially accepted? I, I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, there's just, you know, there's a different set of problems, perhaps mm. for guys. But I think the other issue that's come um, up more in recent years has been this whole mummy drinking culture that's mm. really ex- sort of accelerated that drinking in order to cope with motherhood, mm. that is quite a new thing. I know like my mum didn't have that sort of pressure when she was bringing us up that wasn't a kind of normal thing to joke about oh my you see those fridge magnets now that say the most expensive thing about having kids is all the wine you've got to drink and Mm, all that kind of stuff and and ultimately it comes from a well-meaning place when we're saying to some you know stressed out mum oh gosh pour yourself a glass of wine it sounds like you've had a terrible day you know at home with the kids or whatever we we're meaning something very nice behind that but we are using this rather strange language in order to convey that sentiment Mm. And, and what that does is again normalize heavy drinking and drinking to cope with everyday life and drinking as a treat I guess and a way to celebrate because I think what you just said then it made me made me relate to um something I've been thinking about recently in terms of food and how it gets very normalized to say um you know if you, if you do this hard thing you can have that piece of cake that you want or whatever it is that these sorts of things become associated uh as something that that we have as a treat as a way to celebrate to reward ourselves mm yeah yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. We do it with all kinds of things, um, but yeah, food particularly. And I guess um, food is, perhaps some of us are taught to do that with food from a very early age mm. when we're kids, and then we grow up and replace food mm. with alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the grown-up version of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's really interesting, I was looking on your blog, and, and you had that blog about um, what is your relationship with with drinking like and sort of asking people to consider it as if it was a relationship with a person um mm. I thought that was really fascinating um do you is, is that something that you use with people um on your courses that you run 
like is that is that quite a helpful tool for people yeah it's just um it's just one of the things I use to try and get people to think about alcohol in a slightly different way because some people they practically view alcohol like water or air Mm. it's a it's a part of their life that's non-negotiable and part of what I'm all about is saying hey, like, let's look at this in a different way. Because if you had a partner who was constantly promising you one thing and then making a fool out of you and letting you down and making you feel awful, then the chances are you wouldn't put up with that. Mm. And there's one thing I know about the women I end up working with is that so many of them, they are, they're really successful, they're smart, they're determined, they don't put up with that kind of nonsense in other areas of their life. And yet alcohol, well, it kind of gets a free pass. It gets welcome back in every night, <laughs> no matter what it did the night before. So, mm. so, yeah, I'm always trying to get people to look at it a bit differently because I think we are so good at seeing other drugs for what they really are. Yeah. Um, like smoking is a, is a great one. When you look back to the to those ads from the 1930s, 1940s. They're incredible. You see ads with doctors recommending them, uh, women to help you with weight loss. Um, Smoking's cool. It's, you know, it's so interesting looking back at those ads because that's exactly where we are with drinking right now. Um, And we're still, we've still got people talking about the health benefits of drinking and like really exaggerating those health claims. And, uh, there's still this um, yeah, attractiveness to drinking and kind of it, it is cool. But I think in another 30, 40, 50 years, we'll be looking back on drinking in the same way that we look at smoking now. Mm. Do you think so? I really hope so. <laughs> I mean, I feel that our attitudes to smoking have changed a lot within yeah. quite a short space of time. Um, and and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't want to deny anyone the opportunity to drink if they want to. But what I want is for people to go into it, making that conscious choice mm. and doing it because they really want to, despite their health warnings and despite the fact that, um, y- you know, other people may or may not be drinking. It should be a choice that's completely for you, mm. not something you do because, oh, you think you need to fit in and accept what everyone does. Yeah, yeah, and it really is that at the moment, isn't it? Um, Yeah. I I really liked the the blog that you wrote about, um, you know, when you were in America and you were watching the TV and you you realised or remembered that they they advertise um, prescription drugs and stuff in America, which uh, is is really bizarre when you see that (laughs) because we just don't have that over here and and they list all the side effects. So you've got this great blog where you you list all the side effects that would have to go with, with alcohol, and it's um, and I'll link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it because it is just when you see it laid out like that, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's baffling. It, yeah, it it is baffling. And and why aren't we seeing those warnings? Instead, all we get on most adverts and on the the bottles that we buy is drink responsibly, mm. which you know we would never say smoke responsibly. Yeah. Like, is there such a thing? No. But yeah, those um, American adverts, God, they just blew me away. Um, they just quietly list off all the side effects, mm. which nearly always include like heart attacks and death. Death, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. And they read it really quickly, don't they? All the, all the side effects. So it's like you can hardly hear them. <laughs> you can hardly hear them. And you're just watching you know, someone like skipping through a field yeah. or yeah, looking yeah. really happy. Yeah. 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 So this is a big question. But why is it that you think uh, we have this weird relationship with alcohol that is so accepted in our society? Oh, man, that is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was reading um, I was reading a book by um, Professor David Nutt, who used to be the government's former drug advisor. Mm-hmm. And... He does this great like breakdown of all the different drugs and the risks and everything. And one of the things he says in there is that if alcohol was created again today, 
he doesn't think it would be legal because uh, the side effects are so bad. Mm. And, um, and you know, and he's got some controversial views on legalizing other drugs. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, okay, as a starting point, that's really interesting to have someone like you saying, yeah, th- this is a, a really dangerous thing we're dealing with. But why has it become, why are we so obsessed with it? I don't know. I think I think it's it's been around for an awfully long time. So it's drinking cultures and habits have been passed down from generation to generation. But ultimately, I think it comes down to um, something about the way we express ourselves or our inability mm. to express ourselves and deal with certain feelings and emotions. Mm. And so rather than sitting with those feelings, we have this culture where we drink through them to change how we feel instead. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about the number of people who will perhaps um, only make it through the week because they're thinking about drinking on a Friday night mm-hmm. and they drink all weekend because they feel that's relaxing, that's something they enjoy. But what is it they're really doing there? They're sort of um, escaping a life in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always found it fascinating um, that that behaviour is, uh, to an extent, um, promoted and condoned and stuff by, by workplaces, by ge- general society. And I do think that there are a lot of things about the society that we live in, things like things like drinking, um, things like, um, you know, buying lots of new things uh, that are designed to, to make people money, to make the people who have the most power and hold the most uh, sort of financial clout or whatever uh, in our society, to so make them more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they're kind of marketed to us as a way of making us feel better, um, but they only make us feel better a little bit until we then need more of that thing. Um, yeah. and I, I think it's like that with, with, with buying new things and, you know, you, oh, you've got to have this new beauty product cause it's going to make you feel so much better about yourself. And then two weeks later, there's another one and, and all this stuff, which keeps us in this cycle of spending, which doesn't benefit us. It benefits the big businesses and corporations and the same with drinking. Um, you know, cause the government makes money off drinking and, 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 yeah, I'm not going to get into any like conspiracy theories or anything, but um, I do think I do think it's it, it's um, uh, it's all tied up in this sort of society we live in, and and and, and definitely to to aid us in avoiding our true feelings and how we really feel about our lives. So that you know, because if we didn't go out drinking at the weekend or something, maybe we we would sit with ourselves and mm. realize actually we don't really like that job that we're doing but we'd rather do this and figure out a way to make ourselves happier actually happy yeah Mm. yeah I I so agree with all of that and actually once you really start thinking about this you know you brought up um the shopping and all the things Mm. we buy we repeat this behavior in loads of different areas of our lives don't we we've Mm. we've talked about food and shopping, and then of course there's other things like gambling. But even um, scrolling through your phone all the yeah. time and being on social media, it's all part of this uh, kind of escapism culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really don't want to sound like a killjoy, <laughs> where it's like, oh, you can't ever do these things ever because you totally can. And, and some of this stuff um, it brings a lot of people joy when used in the right way, mm. but um we i think we have to be aware of our tendencies to to overuse this stuff and and what are we escaping yeah. i mean i i notice it in myself sometimes that if i'm having a bad day or your sad day for whatever reason i am more inclined to scroll on facebook yeah. and instagram more and actually that's the exact opposite of what i need to be doing because that's not going to make me feel better yeah absolutely yeah. But it's easy, and and sitting with our feelings and figuring them out and feeling them is hard. Yeah, and we aren't taught how to do these things. No. And I I don't want to make any massive generalizations about us Brits with our stiff upper lip and all of that. <laughs> yeah. 
but there is definitely something there I think still that well we, we don't really do feelings and yeah. emotions unless yeah. we're drunk yeah then we do them in a big way yeah yeah that's that's quite funny actually it's quite interesting that, that we do have this stiff upper lip society you know that is yeah it's a generalization and whatever but it it's a generalization for a reason isn't it and um and we do have this huge binge drinking culture um more yeah. so than a lot of other european countries um Mm. Uh, and again that's a generalization but um but yeah it's kind of like that's the way that we can get our true emotions out or something (laughs) it's accepted when we're drunk (laughs) yeah we can just um claim to have forgotten about it the next day yeah and just be like oh I was really drunk so (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. but you don't really drink do you no so I yeah it's and I I mean, I never describe myself as sober, but I think the reason of that is because of the connotations with the word. Of mm. if you say you're sober, people assume that you've had a problem with alcohol, like you've been an alcoholic and you, you've gone to, to AA and all that sort of thing. Um, so I don't really talk about it, but like I, I would, you know, I don't really describe myself as that. It's not like a key thing that I that I say to people. But yeah, no, I don't. I don't drink. I. Um, like I'll occasionally so my, my boyfriend is a brewer he makes beer so there's a lot of beer around in the house um and you know like he he might make something new and, and offer for me to try it and I will and you know I'll have sips of his beer here and there because I enjoy the taste and I enjoy like he knows a lot about beer and he'll tell me about the different flavors that are in it and I enjoy that sort of thing and the same like with wine I if I have a taste of it but I realized um like last year that just whenever I drank anything, even a small amount, I felt like crap the next day. And, mm. and that's, that's interestingly, um, cause I, so I, I didn't drink when everyone started drinking when I was a teenager, like I didn't drink, you know, and people would raid their parents' alcohol cupboards and all of that. I wasn't interested in it. Right. Um, and I didn't drink, I didn't drink until I was 19. Um, and then I did start drinking. And then when I was at uni, like, you know, I'd go to house parties and drink a lot um, and kind of be fine, like, the next day as well. Um, and then, um, obviously, as you get older, that gets worse and you feel like you get more hungover and stuff. And then uh, when I started doing more yoga is when I started really noticing more of the effects the next day, even if I drank a small amount. And I think it's because I was more in tune with my body. So now I feel like I'm really connected to my body so that even a slight imbalance, I can feel much more. Yeah, uh, this is so interesting. Do you know there's a, a label for people like you? Is there? I don't there know is. if I want to hear it. What is it? <laughs> well, I'm afraid it has got the S word in. It's uh, sober curious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I've been reading this, a few articles about that in some magazines that I was reading this January. It seems to be, well, I guess because of dry January and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, someone was asking me about it the other day. So I... I was like Googling it thinking, is this what I think it is? And I read a couple of different articles where they summed it up as it's it's largely millennials who hmm. are yeah, health conscious in, in every other way and, and really do take their health and their well being quite seriously. And they've just realized, like you said exactly, that drinking makes them feel like crap. And whilst they're not ready to adopt that label of hey, I'm a non-drinker, that kind of is what they're doing with the odd exception here and there. So I I think that's really interesting and, um, yeah, fascinating to see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, now, like, I just don't drink. Like, so I used to, you know, a year ago or, yeah, something like that, if I went out, I would feel the pressure to drink something if I was with a group of people who were all drinking. And now Mm. I've I've, um, kind of got out of that, like... But I still feel like I, I don't know if you felt this when you when you stopped like this. The, the pressure is weird, like from friends and stuff who you feel like yeah. they shouldn't care or, or they wouldn't care. And then they kind of do judge you. They're like, oh, you're not drinking. And you can tell that they I, that I, they're bothered. Yeah. Mm. And I think they're bothered because they think that your actions are a judgment on them. That's exactly it. That's what I always say to people. Um when it's a bit like you bringing in a cake for everyone and someone at work goes oh no a moment on the lips a lifetime on the hips and you kind of suddenly feel a bit there's a bit of a weird relationship Mm -hmm. around that even though everyone should be entitled to eat or not eat what they want 
But yeah, when people give you a really hard time about not drinking, it's always about them mm. and their relationship with alcohol, whether they're feeling self-conscious, whether they, you know, perceive that you're not going to have as good a time together if you're not drinking. It's it's all about what's going on in their head. Um, and yeah, people did give me a hard time about it when I first stopped drinking. It, you know, it really brought up stuff for them. But um, nowadays, I don't have a problem because everyone knows I don't drink. Mm. But I have just had a really interesting experience, which kind of reminded me of all of this stuff. I just went away um, on a trip to Iceland mm. with, um, yeah, I just came back a few days ago. I went away with a random like travel group of um, like people in their 30s and okay. 40s. Yeah. And they had a really good time, but everyone there did drink. And um, and I, I wouldn't say anyone was rude or weird about me not drinking, but there were a lot of drinking jokes and it was noticed that I didn't drink. Mm. So it was, a, it was just interesting because it's the first time in ages that I thought, oh, I, I feel the odd one out here. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously been a really long time since I've been in that situation or felt felt self-conscious about not drinking and I had to think come on Kate get a grip of yourself <laughs> you, you don't care about this yeah and I think it is hard like it takes a lot of self-confidence I from my experience to be able to sit there and be okay with not drinking like yeah sometimes I'll I'll sit there and feel like oh my god I just really want to leave this is awful um uh and 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 then uh, that just doesn't feel good. And then, it, like, in the past, maybe I would have just been like, oh, I'll just have a drink or something. Um, and now yeah. I, either, I either don't put myself in those situations, so I just don't go out, <laughs> um, which isn't, it's not because of the drinking. I'm just not a huge, like, going out person anyway. But, um, or I'll, you know, I'll be in groups where it's fine. So it's, it's all good. But it's... yeah. Because if you're with, um, I find if you're with good, you know, good friends, good people, um, most of the time it, it's it's fine if they're drinking and you're not mm. um, but what I find it shines a light on is if you're with a crowd of people who maybe they're just not your people anyway yeah but they're all sort of artificially bonding because they've got a few drinks inside them um, then I think you do notice that difference and and then it's a matter of deciding well do I you know, do I mind? Do I mind yeah. knowing the reality of this situation? Or would I rather go along with the kind of fake bonhomie of yeah. the situation that they're in? And yeah. yeah, that's that's a decision to to be made. And one of the other things I like to remind myself of is that um I like to think of myself as being independent and being a bit of a rebel. And really drinking is not a rebellious thing no, to do at all it's following the crowd yeah. it's just doing what everyone else is doing so yeah by going against the grain um it might be uncomfortable but I, it sets you up for all kinds of great things yeah and it's so funny actually because you know if you look at uh, i don't know characters fictional characters in movies or whatever if they're rebellious they're generally shown to like like a drink and all of that and you know maybe they drink mm. a lot or whatever and you're right, it's not rebellious at all. Whereas the people who don't drink are portrayed as being, uh, you know, really straight-laced and stuff. And it's like, yeah. hang on, no. <laughs> That's completely the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so funny. Um, but I think um, just everything we've just been talking about has really made me realise how, how much doing something like stopping drinking, even if it's just for a bit, just to, to try it out and, and see how you, how it sits with you and how you feel, really helps you to to get to know yourself better and, and to kind of become more confident in who you are and your values maybe and, and to sort of think about whether you want to be part of the certain social situations that you previously have just been in and um, who you want to surround yourself with and, and just really kind of think about your life from a more kind of connected way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's this really good book actually called Chasing the Scream by uh, Johan Hari, and his the whole his the principle behind the book is all about connection. Mm -hmm. And he says in this book that the um, 
that addiction is basically caused by disconnection and that so many of us, we are feeling disconnected from our friends. Maybe we live a long way away or we don't contact them so much anymore. We're just you're down to Facebook likes. Um, so we're isolated. And when we're isolated and, you know, not getting the love and belonging that we're wired to need, then we look to things like alcohol and other drugs to get that kind of sense of so-called connection. Mm. So, yeah, I think connection is really, really important. And when I stopped drinking, one of the things it shined a light on for me was that I was bored. Um, mm. I didn't have much going on in my life. Like my weekends were quite empty. I was in a job that I could kind of do with my eyes closed by that point. Um, and that was uncomfortable to face that. But I'm glad I did because now I have, you know, more fun weekends and a more fulfilling life and a different mm -hmm. job. So, yeah, it's funny how something like just stopping drinking can change everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And And do you find that... A lot of people who, t who take your course have a similar experience. Yeah, people have all kinds of experiences. Um, so I have people who've stopped drinking and it saved their marriage. Um, you know, they were literally on the verge of divorce. I have other people who've got divorced after stopping drinking uh -huh. because they realise that, yeah, we were drinking to paper over the cracks here and this mm. isn't working. Um, yeah, I've got people who've changed jobs, people, um, most of the women who take my course are in their late thirties, early forties, but I do have, um, I do attract some older women. Often it's people who've just retired okay. and, um, they thought their drinking would, you know, taper off when they left their stressful jobs, but actually mm -hmm. it hasn't. And what they often find is the same that suddenly they've got way too much time on their hands and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, other people, especially younger mums with busy jobs, they realise that one of the reasons they're drinking is because their days are just crazy and unmanageable. Mm. And then for them, it's about stepping back and saying, OK, like, what can I do to make my life more manageable? And I think we've got a real crisis with some people who have completely lost the concept of self-care mm. and, and taking care of themselves at all. And they think that drinking is self-care, but of course it's not. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually, because, uh, yes, drinking, I think, definitely can be confused with, with self-care. However, sometimes maybe it is self-care if you have a really nice bottle of wine that maybe, you know, it's, it's your favourite one and... Uh, on one evening maybe I don't know say you've got kids but on that evening they're out and you're home alone and you're just like oh, I'm going to watch this movie and have a piece of really nice chocolate and a small glass of this really nice wine and I'm going to savour it I would think that that could be self-care I think that could be although you could also argue that some of that stuff like what's really going on there so it's probably the fact that the kids are out you've got some time to watch a movie, you're not on the go, maybe you've like flopped down on the sofa. Um, so there's other factors going on there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not the, the magic isn't what's in the bottle. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. And I yeah. think like in that situation you've described, a lot of people can see that, that the wine is just one part of many yeah. factors. Yeah. But what I the fact the trap that I fell into was feeling that the alcohol was the magic thing that solved all the problems when it wasn't yeah whereas yeah if, if you dig into that the the true act of self-care is is literally it's, it's just taking the time to stop slow down spend some time with yourself do something that you really want to do um, yeah 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 yeah, then we all need to be doing that a bit more, I think. Like true self-care is is something that we don't make a lot of time for because it's not scrolling through Instagram and you know, some sometimes I I um I catch myself, I'll get into bed with my phone and I think, Kate, what are you doing? So I've been trying recently to keep my phone out of my bedroom mm. because I think otherwise you can really let busyness 
creep into all areas of your life mm-hmm. and then you're never really truly relaxing and turning off mm-hmm. yeah yeah I I really try I've been trying for the past few months or so to not be on my phone at all after 9 p.m um that's good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. have you got those screen reports on your phone oh no I haven't gone that far I try I'm I'm quite good at uh disciplining myself disciplining myself that sounds awful um I'm quite no not that I'm quite good at um being disciplined I'm quite good at being disciplined yeah generally however like you said earlier you know like if I've had a bad day or um uh, if I've been really busy and on the go and, and then it gets close to nine and, and I'm, I'm still sort of in that busy state and I haven't really had a break or I'm feeling something a bit difficult and challenging, that that's when I'm more likely to, to pick up the phone later and just scroll or whatever, um, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it's, it, I guess it's a balance, isn't it? Whether it's causing you harm or... You know difficulties, and I'm, I'm sure it isn't. Um, but you know, for, for some people, it's it's something they can't get out of, and they're doing too much. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and that's that's made me think about um, uh, something I wanted to talk about, which was this kind of line between you know, like addiction to something and and not addiction, but but it's still not being healthy or good for you. Um, and I think that. Uh, you know, like with the phone as an example, someone might be able to tell, oh, I'm, I'm addicted to my phone, I need to stop. But actually, a lot of us are semi-addicted to our phones, are using it too much, um, and maybe could, should cut down because it's not great for our health. Um, and I think it's mm. the same with alcohol. Like, we really understand addiction to alcohol, and I think as a society, like, we, we support people who, who are trying to be sober from, from, you know, really being alcoholics and, you know, really, really being in a really tough place with it. Um, but it's the in-between area, that kind of grey area that you talked about, that we don't seem to get so much. Um... No, no. And I, at the risk of sounding like some conspiracy theorist, um, <laughs> to kind of loop back on what we were talking about earlier, I think sometimes it's awfully convenient for us to pretend that drinking is black and white and that mm. you're either this normal drinker or an alcoholic and as long as you're not an alcoholic you don't need to worry uh, yeah that that's ever so convenient and there's such stigma around being someone with a problem and yes you know we're, we're very happy to talk about those poor people who are problem drinkers who mustn't drink and you know, they're mm. very different from me yeah um but there, there is just this massive grey zone out there. I don't think I ever, ever work with anyone who's anywhere other than the grey zone. Um, and I know so many other people in my life as well who I can see are in that place mm. too. Mm. And and some people will go through their whole lives drinking in a way that is holding them back slightly. But maybe it's just not causing them quite enough difficulties or enough pain to ever be something that they really address Mm. just as I guess some people will yeah use their phone too much and they won't realize or they'll always be overweight and and for for whatever reason they won't you know be concerned or tackle that but I guess my feeling with all of this is that if it is a problem for you, if it is making you unhappy, you should feel as if you can change that without someone ridiculing you or questioning questioning you for why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this world where we're so quick to cut out other things like gluten and dairy if it yeah. doesn't make us feel good. Yeah, 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 that's true. So if there, there's a... No, I... I can't speak I was gonna say if there are people listening who who feel like they want to to quit alcohol what would you say but I I don't want to say that what I want to say is 
because I feel like there are some people who might be listening and go, yeah, yeah, that I really do want to give this quitting a go. In which case, there's tons of resources that you can direct them to later. You know, we can direct them to, to your site and your mm-hmm. course and all of that. But they are already in that place where they're like, yeah, alcohol is a problem for me. They've identified that. But what about the people who, who haven't identified that? And, and obviously, alcohol is not a problem for everyone. But are there any little signs that people might be able to, to notice in their lives to, to then sort of reflect and think oh okay maybe alcohol is a bit of a problem for me yeah yeah um yeah there are definitely I think if you are um frequently drinking more than you intend to and crucially that is making you feel slightly unhappy then that's a sign if you are lying about your drinking or hiding it from your partner that's another red flag there's um when we hide things like that, that's a very interesting um, kind of an interesting area to explore as to why we're doing that. I think if you are making lots of rules up about your drinking, maybe you can only drink on certain days or only drink a certain type of alcohol or after a certain time. If you're constantly making up all these rules and then you're breaking them. So next week you make up new rules. That kind of behavior is kind of indicative of the fact that, um, you, you know, you're not doing what you set out to do and what you want to do. Mm. So it's little things like that, really, that I think um, make a big difference. And you, know, whenever someone emails me and says, do you think I might have a problem with drinking? Mm. A part of me wants to say, look, people who are truly happy with their relationship with alcohol don't email people like me. Yeah. They, don't, they don't Google what's problem drinking, am I an alcoholic, all of that stuff. So I, I guess you could um, distill it down to, is alcohol on your mind a lot? Are you worrying about it or thinking about it? And, you know, is the relationship you've got with alcohol, is it good enough? you know, never mind, is it bad enough for me to have to stop? Mm. Given that we've only got one shot at this thing called life, is alcohol good enough to, to, to stay part of your life? You know, given what you, you know, the, the downsides and what you feel are the plus sides. Mm. Um, that's the kind of place to be looking at it from. Mm. I like that flipping it around. It's because so often we'd say, or is this relationship with alcohol bad enough to to warrant me doing anything but yeah is it good enough for me that's a great great way to think about it yeah um and then so for the people who who are listening and thinking that they they really do want to do something can you just talk a little bit about your course and, and what you can offer people sure yeah thank you um so what I tend to say to people, if, if you're worried about your drinking and um, and if you're worried about your drinking, then the chances are you've been trying for a long time to cut down or change it and that hasn't worked. So you know, if you haven't tried to, to cut down at all, then definitely that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to assume that um, anyone who's got this far and is worried about their drinking has already tried that. If you're in that place, what I recommend is taking a break from drinking, a proper break for two or three months. And the reason for doing that is that it lets you test drive sobriety and see what an alcohol-free life feels like. Um, You get to push through the difficult early days and weeks and get onto the good stuff where it feels more natural and, you know, you're starting to build up a bit of momentum. Mm -hmm. So I really recommend taking a break from booze, viewing it as an experiment. You can always go back to drinking afterwards if you don't like it, but at least you've given it a test drive. And how I can help with that is either um, I have got loads of free resources over on my website through my blogs and some free guides, but I do also have my online course. It's called Getting Unstuck, and it's a six-week program with daily lessons that guide you through uh, the first six weeks of sobriety and really um, and kind of make it so that you don't have to figure this out on your own. It's all the tips and tools and mindset things that you need. 
and I, I run it every few months. And the next one is starting uh, near the beginning of April. And I'll be getting a big group of people, all women together, and we'll all start it on the same day and we'll kind of go through the lessons together. It's all hosted in this a private online classroom. So, you know, you're not going to be on your own with this. Mm-hmm. You are you're joining a tribe and uh, yeah, we'll get you through those six weeks and uh, and seeing some big differences. Great. And um, yeah, I'll put, I'll put links in the show notes um, for everyone listening if they want to go and read your blog and have a bit more of a look at your website. And for anyone listening, when this goes live, you've got the new course coming up that you can sign up for if you're interested. And for other people listening at other times, can sign up, obviously, when you do the next ones and, and, and all that and find out that information. Cool. So um, let's just finish then with the, the question that I, I ask everybody uh, who comes on the show. And it's the two-part question. So it's... Um, in your ideal vision of a, you know, ideal dream future, what changes would you like to have seen people making, uh, people have having made, God, getting my tenses all mixed up, <laughs> towards <laughs> a more purposeful and holistic life? And then the second part of that is what small steps can people do now if they want to make changes in that direction? Cool. Well, I would really love people to get more in tune with their emotions and to learn how to manage them. Um, As we've touched on, I think at the heart of a lot of addictive and unhelpful behaviours is this desire to escape or numb out from ourselves or from certain emotions. And part of why we want to do that is because we haven't been taught how to to manage these feelings. And we live in this world where it's normal to just pour yourself a drink when you're feeling sad or stressed or shy. And um, yeah, I'd really love to see us normalizing talking about feelings and, you know, being able to be vulnerable and share authentically. So I think a small step that people can take towards that is just by starting to be more aware of why they're doing certain things. Um, so the next time you do reach for that glass of wine or that piece of cake or, you know, you're mindlessly scrolling through some news website or whatever, just stopping to think, hey, like, why am I doing this? Like, what what am I looking to get out of this? And I'm not saying you know, stop all of this stuff straight away. But I think just being aware and questioning your behavior a bit is a really good place to start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Awareness is the first step to so many yeah. things. That's yeah. great. So Kate, where can people find you online um, on those social media sites that we want them to stop scrolling through <laughs> <laughs> if they want to find out more about you and follow you and stuff? Yeah, thank you. Well, um, the best place to find me is over at thesoberschool.com where I've got um, yeah loads of stuff from the blogs and guides to my course. And then, yeah, if you want to really quickly go on Instagram and Facebook <laughs> or Twitter, I am at The Sober School on all of those platforms. Great, thanks. And I'll put links to those in the show notes for everyone as well. Thank Great. you. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Kate. It's been brilliant. I've loved it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Create Shift. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this conversation. I hope you found it useful, inspiring, supportive. I'd love to hear what you thought of it. Find me on Instagram at being underscore change. And if you are enjoying the podcast, remember to subscribe so that you can find out when there is a new episode straight away. Get it straight to your phone or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And I would love it so much if you would leave a rating or a review or both wherever you listen to your podcast if you are enjoying the show. And if you would share it with your friends, family, strangers you meet on the bus, that would be great. It's a huge help and helps other people to find the show. You can find all the show notes at being-change.com where you find links to all the resources mentioned in the episode as well. Thank you very much and I'll see you next time.